0: In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward.
1: Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Moving Forward. I am your host Kristen Nepper and my guest this week is Carrie Jane. Carrie is a holistic health coach, a life transition coach, and most important for today's conversation, a grief recovery
0: specialist. So first and foremost, Carrie, thank
1: you for being here.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kristen.
1: So, I've said this before on the show and I'm sure I will say it 20,000 more times, but I really believe that God speaks to us through synchronicity, and I knew when I met you that I had to have you on here because I have met so many people within the last year who have lost parents in particular, in particular for some reason or another in my wheelhouse. It's always been the father, and a lot of grief as far as divorce, too, in my social circle right now, and we're not talking about it. You know, someone might admit to me at one point in time, this is going on, I'm really sad about it. And then the next time I run into him, he'll say, yeah, I'm fine. It's great. Everything's fine. And we really suck at grief. (laughs) We just do as a society. So can you speak to that point and tell us why this is and what we can do as just average Joe on the street to start to have these conversations that are meaningful?
0: Absolutely. That's a really great point. Kristen, uh, we as a society have not been taught how to grieve properly. And what I mean by grieve properly is to be able to admit, one, that we're feeling bad and, two, to talk about it. Most people don't want to talk about how they're feeling, especially when something so vulnerable or raw happens to them. Yeah. And if you think about when we're little kids and something bad happens and our parents say, oh, don't feel bad, have a cookie – We're kind of reinforced, one, that, you know, don't feel bad. You should always feel good. And if you do feel bad, let's numb it with something. And in this case, it's, you know, food or sweets. And you look at the society we live in where we have an obesity problem. We have, you know, alcoholics. We have people that are just addicted to all kinds of substances. I was going to say, I've
1: heard Brene Brown say we are the most addicted adult society in American history
0: absolutely and and it really does stem from from not being able to speak our truth and be who we really are so i feel like resolving your grief and really recovering from your grief is really one admitting that you're feeling the feelings that you're having are normal and natural with the with the loss that you've just experienced and that we're feeling this way because there's conflicted feelings going on because there's an end And or change in a familiar pattern that we're experiencing. So what we're feeling is actually normal, and we're not taught that it's normal. We're taught to suppress it. So that's why we suck at grief, as you say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So astutely, as I always do. So I know that you lost your mom within this last year. Can you tell me what the grieving process was like
0: for you? Sure, I'd love to. The grieving process was very up and down. Um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer in 2013 and, uh, we knew it was late stage. So on some level we knew that, you know, inevitably she would end up passing away. And, um, you know, initially I think I was really happy that I got to say goodbye to her and I had some moments with her before she passed away. And, but obviously, she was one of my, one of my best friends. I talked to her almost every single day, and um, there there was I felt like a piece of me was missing after she died. And you know, I did things like really do- dove into meditation, which I always have, but I think I <laughs> dove into it even more. Sure. I read a lot of books. I tried to find everything I could about grief and how to recover from it, and. A colleague of mine who's also a coach and did all the same trainings that I did, ironically, she told me about the grief recovery method. And I ended up becoming certified in the method. But in the process, like all other certifications, you get your own work with the package deal. So I felt like doing the own my own work in grief recovery with this method that I felt like a whole and complete person for the first time in my entire life. And that's a big sentence. Yeah, Um, But I just feel like I felt that way. But I also felt at the same time that I was never broken and I never needed to be fixed. I was just... Oh, wow. Can you say that
1: one more time for our listeners? I think that's such an important point.
0: Sure. So doing the grief recovery method, i found for the first time in my life that I felt like a whole and complete person while at the same time recognizing the fact that I was never broken in the first place.
1: We are never broken. We are whole and complete as we are.
0: Exactly. So what I realized is I was incomplete from the pain associated with several losses in my life. That's where the okay. that's where I that's where I was feeling whole again. Like a whole person was all of these you know, all of these losses that we have, they accumulate over time. And if you don't <laughs> deal with them, it's you have unresolved grief. So not only was I able to really dive into the unpacking the grief that I experienced from when my mom died, but also several other experiences I had along the way. And I just felt like, wow, I really, for the first time with all the other methods I've done, this was the only thing that helped me to complete the pain associated with my losses. And that's really what the whole point of grief recovery is. What, are the, what were the action steps for you? You kind of look at your entire life and you look at all the losses that you've experienced. And then you pick three, three losses that were significant. And I ended up picking my mom. And then what you do is you look at your relationship that you had with that particular person involved with that loss. And you look at you know the positives and the negatives. And then from there, you, you end up doing forgiveness work. And the thing about forgiveness work is it really isn't for the other person. It's more for you. There's a lot of forgiveness work out there. But the way that it's set up in this instance is it really allows you to deliver any undelivered communications of an emotional nature so say uh, there was something I wanted to tell my mom positive or negative and I wasn't able to tell her we learn how to do that and obviously you don't you don't send the letter You, you end up writing a letter but you don't actually send it but it being able to do that just really helps you complete anything positive or negative with that person because as you know with people we always have quote unquote, stuff with them. Absolutely. Especially if they're close to us. So, you know, there's so much somebody could work on, but it's really honing in on um, a particular loss that's had an impact, a significant impact, and then a person um, to actually work on.
1: You know, it really struck me in a really deep way, I have to say, when you just said the forgiveness piece and forgiving yourself. But let me ask for our listeners, if it's a divorce or if it's a dog how would the process work in those situations where it's not an actual person that you've lost, but it's more, as you were saying earlier, a situation or a change that's significant?
0: Well, even in the case of divorce, you, you could still work on your relationship to the person that, that you divorced or who divorced you. And we actually do have a pet program specifically for pet loss. They actually just developed it. Um, the Grief Recovery Institute just developed it a year ago because pets are like family. I mean, they really, people consider them family. They take pictures and put it on, you know, social media. So we experience the same loss in the case of divorce. It is like a death because your relationship with that person is never going to be the same again. There's over 40 different kinds of losses, actually. The most common ones that we think of are death, divorce, you know, job change, things like that. But there's, Anything that's a disruption in the normal pattern of your life that has a significant impact on you is considered a loss and we can grieve in that process. And that's
1: the definition of grief.
0: Yeah. So the definition, I'll just remind the listeners again, the the definition of grief actually has two parts and really it is the normal and natural reaction that we have to loss. And I kind of highlighted that earlier because it is normal and natural to feel bad, even though we're told not to. And then it's really just the conflicting feelings caused by the interchange change in a familiar pattern that you have in your life. So.
1: so tell us about the grief recovery program and the training you underwent, and then I'm going to come back to the losses in just a second, but let's talk about that first.
0: Sure. So the grief recovery method was the training that I did. And as a result of that, I can now work one-on-one and in groups with people. And the whole point of it is, is there's a lot of support groups out there, you know, with grief or any other kind of loss or anything that we experience. And although those are great, there's really no action steps put into place. It's mostly people coming every week and kind of talking about what they're going through. And, you know, that's great. It's cathartic and it's helpful, However, if you're not able to forgive other people or yourself in the process of your loss and actually take action to move beyond the loss instead of kind of staying in it, then you're really not going to recover. You're just going to keep coming back every week and feeling like, okay, I'm still dealing with this. It's still heavy on my heart because really we're helping people whose hearts are broken and who really um, don't feel like themselves and they want to feel like themselves again because there's nothing like a loss or a huge change in your life that really makes you feel like the rug has been pulled from underneath your feet. So um, if we don't take action and we kind of just stay in that place of being um, burdened by the grief, then we really don't recover. So
1: you mentioned your other losses. So what did those look like? I know your mom was sick when you were younger.
0: Yes. So she was diagnosed with a different kind of cancer when I was 14, 15, actually. And that was really difficult because they only gave her five years. And she ended up living 15 more years after that. But I remember at that time, I just kept thinking, I don't want my mom to die. I'm so young and I'm going to miss her. And how's our family going to be after this? And so I I feel like that was the first time it really hit me. And then when I moved to L.A. in 2008, I felt like really felt disoriented. And even though I was so excited to be moving to a new city, escaping the cold, starting a new job, it was really difficult for me to to kind of find my footing and get grounded. But
1: I felt that too. I had forgotten about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was it was really, it was challenging. And it's the perfect definition of grief because you're excited about moving to a new city. To not have winter, yeah. (laughs) You know, and then I started working as a speech therapist and about six months in, I was like, I don't think this is my path.
1: Oh and then that culminates with all right well maybe i made several wrong decisions rather than like t- breaking it apart piece by piece.
0: Yeah, it was it was quite an experience, but it got me to where i am now and i'm i'm so grateful i didn't want to move back or yeah. you know, change what i was doing, but i think the thing about grief is that it's not always negative too. It can be positive like getting married. I got married into a different culture 2 years yeah. ago and huge and change. That's a huge change and I think a lot of people associate grief with just something negative like death or divorce, but there's, there's 40 different kinds of grief and, you know, moving is one of them and getting married and, you know, ending an old friendship, you know, all of these yeah. things, because they're, they're all, if you can see the tie they all deal with relationships and people. And, and, you know, as you know, people who are close to us, we always have, we always have stuff with them, so oh, don't the, we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the more we can clear out our relationship junk,
1: I yes, like to say. I like that.
0: The clearer we are to be able to be who we are and say say what we feel, and that, there's nothing better than that.
1: Yeah, I think that that's the definition of authenticity. Yep. I wanted to ask you a personal question. So, when your mom was sick and they said she's only going to live five years, and you're young, and I'm assuming you're terrified. Did you ever let go of that, where you you were like, oh, okay, woo, we're past the five-year mark, it's fine, or was your attitude, oh, my God, we're on borrowed time here, when is the other shoe going to drop?
0: You know, I actually didn't believe it, and I think I was too numb. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And I isolated myself a lot, I would... I would deal with the pain of that by going to my room and studying and being a good student and being on, you know, I was on the tennis, tennis team and the track team. And like, that's how I channeled that those feelings was into that. And by the time I graduated high school, my mom was, I mean, she was doing so well, we, we actually took a trip out to, to California for the first time. And I really, it kind of went out of my mind. I, I I thought, okay, she's fine. And they even told her after those five years, they said, you know, you don't really need to come back, but every couple of years to get a scan. And so I think, I think initially it really freaked me out, but I, I saw how well she was doing and she was much younger than she was 48 when she was diagnosed very and hard. yeah, and you know, they, they had kept saying like, she was doing so well. So I was like, okay, we're in the clear. So when I found out she had it, she had a different cancer in 2013, the same year I was getting married, the same year I was leaving my career. And the same year I moved and got married. It just, it was so many changes and transitions at once that, yeah, you know, and this time they caught the cancer late and she was older. And so it was, it was scary, but I think I had sort of forgotten about it for a while. And then as soon as this popped up again, I was like, oh, here we go again. Here we so, go. Familiar. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So tell us a little bit. Obviously, your mom impacted you and hence why you are in this line of work. But you were a coach previously. So have you always been? What's your personal path been?
0: So my personal path has taken many twists and turns. Originally, I was a speech therapist for five years. And I worked in a clinic, I worked in public schools. And as much as I enjoyed helping the families and working with the kids, I just knew something was missing. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly what I knew I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I... Got really interested in thyroid health um, for a few reasons. One, because I was sort of teetering on possibly starting to have issues, and luckily I caught it early enough and made some changes, and now, knock on wood, everything's okay. Yeah. But I also enjoyed working on thyroid because where your throat is is where your throat center is or your throat chakra, which is all about speaking your truth and i felt very suppressed i was grieving a lot when i was in my other career in my other career because i knew it wasn't what i wanted to be doing with the rest of my life but i just didn't have the the ability to express that and so i suppressed it a lot so i really enjoyed my work you know with people who have thyroid conditions because I liked working on the the deeper part, you know, the getting to the root of, like, why someone couldn't speak their truth or had difficulty saying what they mean. And oddly enough, I feel like now what I'm doing, it just sort of led me to that because really the more you resolve grief, the more you let go of things that you've held on to for years, and the more you have a clear channel to really be who you are and, and say what you mean all the time. That's really the, like the main point of recovering from grief is so you can really be more of who you are and and speak the truth all the time i love that hey moving forward listeners if you're enjoying today's episode consider supporting the podcast you can purchase a copy of the corporate clichés adult coloring book or try out amazon prime or audible using one of my affiliate links which you can find in the write up for any of the episodes at be
1: so let me ask you about that to the point of, you know, being a little bit shut down. And I think we, as women, we a lot of times have been taught don't make people angry, don't rock the boat, and that will make us quiet and complacent. So, were there any along those lines, maybe not quiet times, but limiting beliefs that had developed and you found you weren't doing your own work? And, um, when did that hold you back and how did you break through?
0: Oh, I've had a lot of limiting beliefs (laughs) (laughs) as I think so many of us in the, all of us to be human is
1: to, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, You know what? I think that my biggest belief, my biggest limiting belief was that I'm not good enough. I'm not capable and imposter syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I really feel like that came out when I was in my career as a speech therapist. You know, I, I went to Northwestern, which is this really amazing school in Chicago. I went when I, there too. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, go Small out there. Small world. Yes. Yep. Um, so you know what it's like to go to Northwestern, right? It's like very I, cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not what I was thinking, but yes, oh, okay, it is yeah. cold. <laughs> I was going to say it's very challenging and yeah. and very cold, and yes. that's why I moved to California. <laughs> But I remember somebody in my program saying, if you can do this speech pathology master's program, like we're superhuman, like we can do anything. And I remember one, being shocked that I actually got into that school and two, like being able to get through that program. And then when I started working, I kept thinking like, oh, I'm not smart enough to be here. And like, that was just a belief that I think I developed somewhere along the way growing up. And i I got to the point where I just said, "You know what, this is not serving me anymore, but it was one that really, really, really held me back for so long and
1: How did you get to that point? It's so funny you say that because I, so I studied acting at Northwestern. I, you know, there's this glorious list of alumni that went there. And I remember being on campus and being like, I will never be as good as Shelly Long or Charleston Heston or, you know, insert the name here. So I think that that's, you know, when you are in programs with elite people and it doesn't necessarily have to be school, it can be whatever you value. There is a lot of time like, wow, how am I ever, ever going to measure up?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I think what I decided, and I don't know, I think I just woke up one day, and and not that I never waver, I mean, I'm definitely not uh, perfect with this, but I just really just woke up one day and told myself, one, I'm ending my addiction to suffering and comparing myself with other people, and two, I really want to come from a place of service, and when I come from a place of service and gratitude, there isn't room for that you know, I'm not as good as this person or, you know, I won't be successful at this or, you know, I'm a failure like that. There's just no room for that because when you're so focused on serving other people, you know, the you that we identify with, but you know, the false us, that's really not us. Yes.
1: um, The ego,
0: the ego. I feel like I just consciously made that decision. And if I forget, I just have to remind myself, you know what, it's not about me it's not even about my experience. It's about me being a vessel to facilitate this work. And that's really how I've sort of dealt with that. And And I think doing grief recovery helped me see how far back that belief went and where it came from. Yeah. And being able to make peace with the pain associated with that is really what, helped it to really go away. And like I said, it comes back here and there, but yeah, that's what I love so- about grief recovery. It's it just, you realize things about yourself that you never knew because we've been grieving our whole lives one way or another. And it doesn't always have to take a death of a loved one to come to that realization. But I think had I not had that experience and gone through this experience myself that I you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am and I wouldn't be able to facilitate such amazing, powerful work. So I'm actually really grateful for this belief. (laughs) Um, but I'm also grateful to know, you know, where it comes from and that it's, it's, it's not real. Yeah.
1: Can I ask you, so you mentioned realizations just a moment ago, what was your biggest realization in going through the process?
0: My biggest realization probably, I mean, I think it just goes back to it's not about me, it's really about serving other people. Like this whole process of grief, you know, it really was a process of discovery, but I feel like the more. I was able to be complete with myself and, the, and, you know, the losses that I experienced, the more I can really be of service to other people. And that's really my goal. I really, you know, that's why I'm here. That's why I wake up every day. I love that. I wanted to ask too, so the second part that I wanted
1: to follow up on, are there any particular rituals that you have in place? Because I know that we are human and we will forget from time to time. So is there any reminder that you have daily practice, what have you, that allows you to stay in that place of gratitude and service?
0: Absolutely. I have to meditate every morning. If I don't, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and I find, I find that when I meditate in the morning, my sessions with my clients are so much better, they're so much deeper, they're so much more impactful. Because again, I'm clearing out this vessel But
1: we all have, we all have it. I love that. I've heard Marianne Williamson say it's the same way you would take a shower to clear the dirt off your body. You have to meditate to clear the clutter out of your mind.
0: Oh yeah, I mean we're bombarded with so much all the time, and especially technology nowadays. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you're, you know, you're right. There, there has to be some sort of ritual. So I like to meditate. I do it first thing. I don't check anything. I don't check my phone. I don't check Facebook. I don't check. Any of that, I, I get up and I meditate, and um, I've really been liking Oprah and Deepak Chopra's. I did their twenty one day meditation. Yeah. I ended up buying it because I liked it. It's all about grace and gratitude, which is my thing. So, and you know, sometimes I just like to meditate silently, and then I really like writing. I like to write in a gratitude journal, and when I do a gratitude journal, I don't just sit there and write. I actually, I'm not like one of those people that's like, okay, I got to think of a hundred things. I'll maybe write 10 things and then I'll actually connect with my heart and I'll feel the gratitude going from my heart to that person or that event or that thing. And it's so much different than, you know, I don't have anything against just gratitude lists, but I think it's more more powerful if we can actually like put action to it.
1: So I agree. I was always taught when you write your gratitude list, you have to write the why. So it's not just I'm grateful for Randy. I'm grateful for Randy because he's always caring and always checks on me,
0: you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I like to read inspirational quotes. I like to, you know, try to read like 10 pages, 10, 10, 20 pages a day. I just like to start my day off on a positive note so that it continues that way. And I wish I lived near the beach. I would go to the beach every morning, but maybe one day I'll be able to do that. (laughs) It's
1: California. We, yeah, we're never too far.
0: We're never too far. So it sounds like
1: spirituality has played a very large role in your life, and I would guess your recovery. Yes. Okay. Can you talk to us about that? And then question also, were you spiritual or religious as a child? Has this been something that you've carried through, or is this a new discovery for you?
0: So I would say from a very young age, I knew there was something out there greater than myself. Yeah. And I think I had that discovery when I was like 7. My parents weren't my parents weren't religious. My mom was very spiritual, very very spiritual, but she, you know, she kind of her spirituality was nature and, you know, she didn't like talk about Marianne Williamson or anything like that. <laughs> but she did give me my very first book when I was 20 and it was Inspiration by Wayne Dyer. Okay. And I love something that he says about his beliefs, and I, I kind of agree. And he said, "I'm open to everything and attached to nothing." So Ooh, I love that. Yeah, I love it too. And I, I think I think it is is it's an original Wayne Dyer, but I'm not I'm not 100. Let's sure. go with
1: that. We'll go with that. Yeah, go with
0: that. <laughs> but I love that because when I was growing up, I had a lot of friends that you know I would like go to church and Bible school with them, and like it never it, it felt like okay, yeah, there's this force out there. But I never liked the the rules behind it, and I didn't like the idea that it wasn't open to everything. So mm, yeah. for me, my husband's Indian and Hindu, and I like aspects. I take aspects of of everything, but I'm not attached to one method. And I find that you know meditation is the best form of spir- my spiritual practice, and it's you know it's something that I do daily. And if I don't, if I miss a day, I, I'm a completely different person. So. For me, um, I just try to stay open and take, take what I like from each of the different traditions and sort of make my own, my own thing. And it's, it's worked really well. And I like to incorporate a lot of gratitude. I think that's one of the biggest forms of spirituality. So. Yeah.
1: And what you put your attention to always grows. So if you're grateful for what you already have, you'll continue to receive. Absolutely. Mm, I like that. So let's talk a little bit about your journey again. And can you give us an example? I always like to ask this question of all of my guests, just so we can show our listeners that, you know, when we're looking to achieve and we're looking at a goal and we're attempting to get there, it is not an easy linear path for anyone. So when have you failed and yet it changed everything for the better?
0: Well, I, the word fail is interesting because I try to look at it as feedback instead of failure because Ooh, a lot I of... I like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. In my coach training, my, my life coach training, we had these paradigms. And one of the paradigms is there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. Mm, and like a lot of my life, I think the whole I'm not good enough thing came from feeling like I failed at a lot of things. I almost look at my entrepreneurial journey thus far as... Not failure, but feedback. Okay. Um, because I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. I've been doing this for about two and a half years now, you know, coaching in general after leaving speech therapy. Sometimes I did things that people told me were a good idea, but I really didn't listen to my intuition. So Ooh, I like that. That yeah. was great feedback <laughs> for me. That my intuition is extremely strong and I know when it when something doesn't feel right, and I know every time I've gone against it something hasn't worked out the way I would have liked. So you could look at me doing the thyroid coaching as not really failure, but just something I tried and didn't end up panning out. Yeah. But the fact that I kept going and I I started to really listen to my intuition and I was really open. There was one point where I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Do I I have to go and get a job again? (laughs) Right. I I think every entrepreneur has that, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, why is it so hard? So I just made a decision to really be open and I said, okay. And I went on this retreat in Costa Rica and um, didn't really know what I was going to come out on the other side feeling like. And that was the point where I started getting a lot of insight about, you know, what about grief recovery? Like you've been through it yourself and you can help so many people and you've been grieving your whole life. You have tons of experience doing this and you love it. So that was sort of the turning point where I started to really unravel all of this and turn it into what it is now. And I'm really happy with it. So it was most- worth it.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Everything that we do, I think that a couple important points out of that, everything that we go through, everything that happens to us, there is a reason, there is something, feedback, as you said, that we can learn from it, from it. And one of the most memorable things my mother has ever said to me, and she said it in a real subtle and kind of offhanded way, I know, when I was probably in my mid to late 20s, and I wish she had said it to me or yelled it at me from the time I was born forward. But she said... The only time I've really gotten in trouble in my life is when I failed to listen to my intuition. And it's something that as humans, every other animal will do that without question, without hesitation. And yet, as humans, we so often dismiss it. It's so powerful. It is such a guiding force. If there is anyone who is young and you listen to nothing else that we are saying today, listen to that. Always follow your gut instinct. Yes,
0: always. (laughs)
1: Or it'll backfire. Or it will backfire very (laughs) dramatically. Attest, I can be a witness for that one.
0: Yes. So one
1: final question. So to you, what is the difference? We talked a lot about spirituality and about gratitude and then intuition. What's the difference between spirituality and religion for you?
0: So for me, spirituality is open and religion can be closed off, I think. And I think it goes back to... Me as a person, I really want to be open to everything and attached to nothing. So I identify so much more with spirituality than religion. And I really feel like religion has its merit. And if it works for somebody, that's great. I think both are great springboards for grief recovery because I don't think you can resolve grief in the same way if you don't have you know, a belief in something higher than yourself. So I think they're both, they both have merit. But for me, I I identify with being spiritual versus religious. I like that. I've often
1: heard, I can't remember who said it, but God in a box is, you know, someone's definition of religion, that there's one way. And I have a phenomenal yoga teacher, Ryan Glidden, who always says there's one truth, but there are many paths to get there.
0: Yes, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. That's how I feel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Carrie if our listeners wanted to connect with you if they wanted to work with you are you available on social media how would they reach you
0: yes yeah, so my website is carriejane.com and I'm sure you'll list that so I don't yes, need to spell will. It it will by be on the
1: Vuavant website everyone
0: <laughs> j-a-i-n not j-a-n-e and I'm also on Facebook Carrie Jane Instagram Carrie Jane LinkedIn Twitter all of that all under Carrie Jean. So in terms of working with me, there's a, a variety of ways. The grief recovery method programs, those are all done in person. They can't be done over the phone or on Skype. So if you're in Los Angeles, I'm in a couple different areas doing the programs. And we have a seven-week one-on-one program, an eight-week group program, and a six-week pet loss program and then in terms of life transition coaching and working on grief recovery i have a couple different options i have a 2 month program a 4 month program and i'm doing these really amazing vip days so lots of different what? ways tell us connect. a little bit about the vip days so the vip like, wait, day wait. <laughs> <laughs> so the vip day i love so I really connect with nature. I mean, if you go to my website, you'll see like all the pictures are <laughs> outside. So I, I find a location in nature or at a spa. And we really, we dive deep into what has been keeping you stuck in, in the grief and how to really experience and be your authentic self and speak your truth. And you get a follow-up call after the VIP day so that everything that you learned in that day, you can really start to apply and we can make sure everything is kind of being put into practice. So it's really about aligning, again, with who you are and and kind of emptying out all of the places within yourself that have kept you stuck. It's it's really a beautiful experience and um, people really enjoy it. So if you're interested in that, let me know. Very good.
1: Carrie, thank you so much for being here today, and thank you for being so
0: candid. Thank you for having me, Kristen. It was a pleasure. And thank you
1: to our listeners. Did you like this podcast? If so, please rate us on iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe. Until next week, this is Kristen Nepper. Keep moving forward, and Satnam.
0: Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.